Sure. I'll talk it out. Yeah. Let's just have a conversation. Track three. <clears throat> Better not be fucking Dave Matthews band. Okay. Those of you who don't want to be a part of this can leave now. Derek, please listen to me. But if you choose to stay, which it seems like you guys are choosing. Derek, please. You understand and agree to the following terms and conditions. Derek! One. Derek, this is the virus. You talking. hereby waive your right Derek, please. to your own personal bodily integrity. This is not you. Two. Per the state versus Neville Reed. My colleague and I will not be held criminally liable for any felony or misdemeanor that you may be a victim of, including, but not limited to, aggravated assault, aggravated battery, disorderly conduct, destruction of property, mayhem, and first-degree murder. And three, terms and conditions may change or be updated whenever the fuck I want! Consider yourselves notified. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. Describe the ruckus, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? Time Radio Podcast, episode 181. Opening it up, Spirit of Drift doing some typo negative there with Everything Dies. Very cool cover. It was I liked a good it. cover. So today, we have a doc to get to to talk about. We've got our retro movie DVD vault pick. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk a little bit about the concert uh, the night. Yesterday night? Yeah. Wednesday night. Wednesday night. Time, At the time flies. Shop. And which is interesting because going in today, I wasn't sure how my mouth was going to feel. Because like, the day after the concert, I got my wisdom tooth pulled. And, uh, and another tooth. Yeah, but, you know, I figure it's all pain one way or the other. But, uh, it's all pain. 
but uh, I'm feeling pretty good right now, so that's good. Swelling isn't really that bad, bad right now, so. That's good. So everything's going to be doing okay. Let's hope it keeps doing that. Uh, did find out uh, I do have work this week, so I'll be doing that for sure. Thank God. <laughs> Between vacations, uh, body failing, and everything else, and just work has been almost non-existent for me for the last couple months. So we'll get back in the swing of that. That's good. Uh some new music, classic music coming your way. Uh, in fact, in the rock block, uh, brand new stuff from Devin Townsend that he put out a few hours ago. So we'll have a little bit of that. Mm -hmm. uh, but we're going to kick it off our first block, though. We got some new stuff from Soil Work, Voluntary Mortification. But here's some classic carcass coming your way. Identifying bodies which are decomposed, dismembered, skeletonized, We've had many cases in this department where a body has been found in pieces or decomposed, and we've been able to put things together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Upper part of the body very badly in a decomposed state.
Hey, DJ Anubis here, and I want to say if you dig all things Godzilla and KG related, then check out the YouTube channel of the Sci-Fi Century. He has great reviews, opinions, and theories in the world of sci-fi horror, anime, and of course everyone's favorite atomic breathing lizard, Godzilla. Century provides great commentary when both having a special guest on his shows as well as the collaborations with the big teddy bear, that fat samurai guy. So if you want to keep it raw, real, tune into the Sci-Fi Century. That's S-C-I-F-I-S-E-N-T-R-Y. Sci-Fi Century. Tune in to get the best in science fiction and Godzilla-related information. Peace. Gotta talk a little bit about the Desolus Oxygen Destroyer concert the other night. You've been waiting for this for a while. You've been following Oxygen Destroyer for years, and they're a West Coast band. They don't come to the East Coast all that often. So I remember when this was announced. I don't even think I was home yet, and I told you to buy the tickets. Right. I mean, it was it was a long time ago that this was announced, and I was like, I knew I'd be home because of the close proximity of like the other stuff that we have going on right so i'm like we definitely have to go because i know you've been wanting to see oxygen destroyed. yeah uh, you know like i told you the other night when we talked about probably a couple of years ago we considered going out because we've already considered going for vacations of course we ended up going to my parents for vacation but we considered going out west at one point to go see this band and maybe you know do some other things while we were out there but uh, funds and time didn't work in our favor there, but you know you saw that they were coming over here on the East Coast, which I'm really happy about. We got the chance to talk with Jordan, the lead vocalist and guitarist of uh, Oxygen Destroyer, so we'll get to some of that. But uh, yeah, so the fact that they were coming out here, I had to snatch up because the, the, the pie shop in DC is a very nice place, but it's not super huge. It's not like you're gonna have like a big venue like soundstage or anything. Uh, so tickets would have it sold out like mm -hmm. it, like according to the band uh, it's the only place so far in their tour and I think they've got four stops left that actually sold out where they were at so uh, good for them and then the other side of that is uh, a friend of ours uh, Vivek uh, he's been a big f fan of metal and you know just one of our, our, our regular friends from shows that we go to with Nomos and he's friends with the band there uh, I had recently found out a few months ago he has his own band and uh, they're currently working on their first uh, full length uh, to trio them and uh, it's called Desolus and there was a couple of times they played up in DC it's a bit of a ways for me and of course depending on the night of uh, whether or not I had to work or anything else so I hadn't had a chance to see them but they got put on the bill at the last moment uh, for the pie shop, so that made it twice as fun yeah, and exciting. Yeah, twice as exciting. Right. Um, so, yeah, so we, we go out there. Now, the, the real fun about this, the last time we actually were out there uh, was for Nomads. And, and we... Uh, we actually had stayed somewhere. We got a hotel, that's yeah, right. Because we had stayed there and we Ubered there, so it was very convenient. So this time around, we drove... And uh, realize just how shitty parking is. It's there. kind of in a so it's the pie shop is kind of more on like a main street. Yeah. But 
it's a very residential area. So I'm looking around, I was like, oh, I wonder if I can find us a parking garage three miles away. So we had to like do the whole sharking. We're like circling to find an, cause it's, it's street parking in residential. Uh, it's not home. just like you can just park, like there's time zones and. Yeah, if you, ha you have to have the, uh, the uh, pass, like uh -huh. you have to be, I'm like, this is hysterical. Yeah, so we, we did find some, but it was, it's still like, it's, it's always like a guessing game. Like the sign says zone six from 630 to 830. We were there about 7:30. So the idea was between those times, I guess you can park, but then you would have to move. But it was like a two hour limit, but we, after 830, it, it didn't matter. Right. So, but we weren't even sure about that. We're still like constantly Googling <laughs> whether or not I'm going to get a ticket. Then again, it could have been that we were wrong and just never saw the car. Uh, Cause there's a lot of cars there. A lot of people were parking there for who lived there. Cause there's like a lot of residential stuff and uh, just people wandering around because it's a nice day and people are just it was really packed it was there. yeah people were like, like not just a, and... right so uh so this this little place this little dive is like neko said it's off of like a main street that's down there and uh there's a lot going on a lot of different stuff uh they serve like the best way i could put it is like meat pies and also like sweet, sweet pies. pies so you can actually have like a meal and then also dessert. Now, granted, we'd already eaten before we gotten out there, so but we always have like time for a sweet tooth, and she was more into the the dessert. I was really had. craving. If uh, they would have had like sweets. anything cherry wise, I probably would have eaten it. But uh, well, she had was like a, a French toast, yeah, with so, like a custard in the middle. Yeah, so it was kind of good. I, I took a little bite of that. It wasn't bad, and we were just waiting around uh, until it was time to go up. I think we were probably about. 30 minutes or so ahead of the schedule there. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, so then by the downstairs is where everyone pretty much eats and they're cooking up stuff. So it's a very small area. So there's not a lot of seating. That wasn't real packed when we got there. We grabbed a couple of chairs and we were good with that. Upstairs, though, is where the, the bar is. There's like an outdoor deck in the back. And then, of course, right in front of that, there's like the stage and uh, a little pathway going to the by the bathrooms and the bar so not super huge but uh it's very nicely set up especially we really like the outside on the deck because as long as it's not raining like it was the last time we were there uh you know it was really nice out wasn't too bad we were dealing with good weather that day it was probably hotter during the day than it was by the time we got there but and it was really like cozy there was tables and chairs and they had like the string of lights and it's a pie shop in the background and the the nice thing about this place is like felt like everybody was just this show everybody was there to see each other and and there to be supportive whether you were a fan or a musician because it seemed like all the musicians that were playing that night were also there like supporting the other acts vice versa right. everybody was talking to each other everybody was like super excited to just be there and it was i have to say so i kind of like staggered towards the back because the way that this place is um situated is it's very narrow yeah. so if you get too close and you're short like me you're not going to see anything but there's kind of like steps or something kind of like it, it slopes a little so when you're further back and like you're sitting you can see the stage right, right. but if i would have walked forward 
like kind of where you were standing, I wouldn't have been able to see anything over everybody's heads. Right. So I kind of hung back for a lot of the show because uh, one thing that Oxygen Destroyer was really excited about was they were they did like a whole kaiju um, slideshow. Yeah, basically, uh, one of their things, they can't do it at every venue unless they actually have the technology to do it, but they bring their own little, I don't know if it's like a DVD player or whatever, but Jordan goes and he takes clips from different kaiju movies like Godzilla, uh, War of the Gargantuans, uh, Gorgo, stuff like that, and he puts little clips together, and what he does is I actually ended up helping him out because he wanted me to push the button start when they were starting oh, to play. Uh, it's kind of like, like playing Dark Side of the Moon and watching uh, The Wizard of Oz. Right, so they got their set laid out to whatever clip's going on, which is cool because I was paying attention. Uh, whenever a clip would finish, that's when the song would finish for that particular... Because, like, Jordan, when he sings about these songs, it's all kaiju-related. So if they're singing about the movie Gorgo, it's about Gorgo, and that clips from that movie are playing... Whereas, you know, like Mothra, like Divinity uh, was in there. So they had Mothra and Godzilla in there. Um, uh, Mecha Godzilla versus Godzilla. So just depending on whatever the time, uh, beats of from 20,000 Fathoms, that was another one he had. Uh, so, yeah, so that was really cool about that part. But they can't do it at every venue because they may not every venue has that capability so he was really excited he was really excited yeah uh and i thought it was amazing like i just really loved it um it was right up your alley yeah and i remember when we were speaking with jordan and i forgot the drummer's name as well chris, chris, I, think, chris I think it's you. chris carver i think um or chris craven they were talking about how like what they've seen at their concerts is like not just Godzilla fans and not just metal fans it was like this complete mix where you get somebody who's never really been into metal but they're really into kaiju so they know that Oxygen Destroyer is all about the kaiju so they come to see them mm -hmm. or then they have people who are metal fans that just really like the music but they're not realizing that holy crap this is like a, a whole uh, kaiju yeah, well thing. we had that one old older dude that came out later on oh he was before. fun he, he was he's like oxygen destroyer is that reference to and we're like yep yep <laughs> you know vivek and myself and you we're all like yeah this is what they do and this is how they do it uh but speaking of vivek and his band desolus uh the other band was Grishka. We had seen them a couple of times with Nomos, other it, it, like Henry's House or whatever. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So Henry's they were kind of like the the middle band. In fact, former bassist of Nomos uh, was Ben. Uh, he was now part of Grishka as well. So. And um, Travis, who plays with um, Desolus. Desolus. He, he also plays with... I don't know if he plays with Pig Destroyer or one of Blake's other bands. That's Pig Destroyer. It is Pig Destroyer? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that, I thought that was pretty wild because... I didn't catch it. I, guess I didn't he looked kind of different. Yeah, he grew his hair and he's got like a... Because yeah. it was like shorter hair the last time we saw him. So, yeah. So we're going to be interviewing him in a few weeks when they come in here. So we'll be uh, saying how embarrassed we are we didn't recognize Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's a young guy too, so he, yeah. he just looked so much more grown up I hate to say it like because I'm an old person but I hate to be like oh yeah but yeah it's it's, it's Travis Vivek um, bass and vocals and then I can't remember the guitar's name but he was really cool he took a nice picture with me uh, but it was also Vivek's birthday that night so everyone's like throwing out birthday wishes and he was getting pretty hammered throughout the evening so 
Uh, I do have a short clip from the YouTube videos that I uh, put up on our YouTube channel from the events, and oh, I'm just cool. going to play a little audio of Desolus playing here real quick. Uh, they have a mixture of, like, classic speed metal with a little bit of black and death thrash in there. Uh, it's got a little bit of everything, but it's so good. Along the lines of, like, Morbid Saint and stuff like that, so... Here you are. We're going to check it out real quick. It's only about a minute or so, so it's live, so it's not going to be the clearest because of my phone, but you'll get a sense of kind of what they play. It came out okay. Uh, certainly, I didn't do the whole song, but you know, I wanted people to kind of a little bit of the clips. But apparently, the band is working on their first full length, and I don't know if they're going to have any material by the time they roll in here. Hopefully, they might have like a song or two they can let us play on the on the radio that night. But uh, I'm really excited to interview them. Like, uh, they're really cool guys. Uh, Vivek, like I said, we've known for a little while, and Travis we had met when we did the Pig Destroyer interviews uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, so. Uh, really excited about them. I'm really happy for Vivek because I, I like Jordan had come uh, from Oxygen Story. Had said after they were getting ready to go on that he thought that Desolus was like one of the best bands they played with on the entire tour. Oh, that's so, so sweet. Yeah. So, so the, the the guitarist is uh, Jimmy. Jimmy. Okay. And uh, you can find Desolus on Instagram. I don't believe they have a Facebook page, but yeah. Desolus underscore DMV on Instagram. And um, Oxygen Destroyer has a Facebook page. You can just look up Oxygen Destroyer. And on Instagram, they are just Oxygen Destroyer. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, really cool band. I, 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 when I finally release their, their record, I'm going to be really excited to hear it and, and rate it and how all the good stuff that we do. Uh, but also, going back to Oxygen Destroyer, you know, uh, we were talking with Chris a lot throughout the night, the drummer. And really, when when you see this band live, if you ever get a chance to, they are incredibly tight. Like, it sounds so good. In fact, I'm not sure if the guitarist, the other one playing opposite of Jordan, was original guy. I don't know, like, how long he's been in the band or whatever. But I did notice he was a big Eddie Van Halen fan. He had the hat and his stack was 5150 so oh, that's awesome uh and he's incredibly great guitarist like the solo work he was doing he had some problems on that last song i don't know if it was something happened with the chords or whatever but he couldn't get things to work right oh no was it like i bet you it was just technical difficulties yeah that's what happens all the time especially when you're touring um 
Well, the other thing is... You got is, your setup, and then you're moving stuff. Well, I noticed, too, the cords that, you know, are down by the stage come, come out where we are. Because we're right on the stage, so, you know, a lot of the guys are headbanging, and hair's flying, I'm getting hit in the face with the hair, and <laughs> all that stuff. But it's possible somebody might have knocked something loose, or just something that happened naturally, I don't know. But uh, it, just listening to his guitar work and his solo work was really... Uh, amazing like he's just very very good uh but they all are like you know chris playing those blast beats on the drums and jordan of course with his riffs and then the bassist doing his thing and it was really kind of cool too like the way i don't know if jordan envisioned it this way because i don't think he ever really go into saying okay this is what i really want but the bassist was left-handed so basically he's facing this way and the guitarist is facing this way that's kind of fun yeah so it's just it's that's kind of cool to see because uh, you don't see it often uh, left handies, uh, so that's really cool. And I, I'm looking at Oxygen Destroyer's Facebook page and Instagram, and they they were like super stoked about the pie shop. They're like, this is one of the best shows we've ever played. We can't thank you enough. Hail to the kaiju! Yeah. They were telling us too about when they were playing in Japan, and that has got to be great for them. I mean, oh, just yeah. being kaiju. I, I wish. I'd have to see if I can find out if Jordan has anything like that or anyone sent him. But, like, being a band that's based off Godzilla and kaiju-related stuff, like, I'm wondering how, like, their opening was in Japan. Like, just what, you know, what kind of club they were in. Like, whether they had some sort of intro before they came out. Because, I mean, they didn't really have, like, an intro so much when they played for us. But, like, I just wonder if at some point... You're playing Japan. This is a, a a country where, you know, Godzilla was created. I mean, is this like, you know, how... I would love to see the, the Japanese reaction to this. Because, like, I, I told him, I said... And he, I think he affirmed it that Japanese are just crazy for metal. They are. It's really a different experience over there. We've, I've never been there, but would love to visit it. Uh, but even when First I talk... you have to get your passport. But even when talking with Daniel, like, he goes over there a few times a year, and he really enjoys it as well. So they're just fanatical about metal and stuff like that. So I can only imagine what it would have looked like to Jordan and the band when they were playing and seeing these guys just go nuts, like, with all... It, they probably had the, the Godzilla clips and stuff, too. So, <laughs> you know, it was really amazing. But yeah, here's a here's a taste of Oxen Destroyer the same night uh, at the pie shop. So here, give it a whirl. So that's a taste of Oxygen Destroyer. I was telling the drummer Chris, I think, that night that 
it was kind of funny that when Godzilla versus or when Godzilla King of the Monsters came out, you know, that was kind of like towards the time of release that they released um, their first record, I think, uh, or maybe the second one. But I can't. But either way, like I just remember we were pushing it a lot during that episode, like you know when we were talking about the movie because mm-hmm. that was that's one of those dedicated podcasts that we did to the entire movie that time. Uh, and then we did it again for uh, Godzilla vs. Kong, and they had released uh, a new single at that point that we had played, so uh, uh, it was actually about um, the Kaiju Gigon. So uh, it's just funny how whenever Godzilla stuff starts getting released, they're like always prepared and they've got something ready to go, uh, almost in tribute to that. So That's crazy, yeah. Yeah. So all in all, a very good night, and it was so incredibly uh, great to meet those guys in person. Because like I said, I've been friends with Jordan on Facebook since like 2014 or 15 when they first came around. So the minute that I realized, I think I had actually heard the first record, and then when I heard it, I was like, okay, I, I get this now. This is all about Godzilla and Kaiju. So I searched them out, mm-hmm. made friends with Jordan. I think he probably saw that I was playing his stuff on our podcast and whatnot and sort of, like, friended me and whatnot, so... And I'm glad you did, because, like, we finally got to see them, and, you know, you got to talk to the guys. It was kind of nice for you. And we got that really cool poster, and... Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yep, are you going to put it, like, right there? Yeah, I'm probably going to alternate right something. Maybe move this one somewhere else. Uh, I kind of alternate stuff every once in a while. Whenever we do YouTube vids, it gives something a little bit of a new look. Uh, probably should have got the guys to sign it, but they were really kind of like busy. There's a lot of people there getting signatures and just all that kind of stuff. But I did manage to buy the last poster. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, because it was only a limited run for the guys. These were from the guys that actually ran the pie shop that were selling these. So this is something they had created. Uh, I believe I don't know how much money they kicked back to the bands or not, but um, I'm sure they did. But uh, they were like, yeah, last one. I was like, I'll take it. <laughs> You're like, me! It was also kind of cool. I know it's kind of funny, but uh, Neko and I were sitting there downstairs before the show, and we saw this mother and two kids come in, uh, younger teens. Uh, probably couldn't have been more than 12 or 13, maybe. Uh, and uh, they were all kind of really excited to see the show. Like, you know, they... They were the youngest ones there. It had to be. Yeah. They, uh, were, they were very, like, not even able to drive young. Kinda. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They were being, you know, Mom probably stayed down throughout the entire show, but they were up there and checking out and having fun, and I don't know how much they... I, I almost felt like at one point I probably should have, like, introduced them to the kids. You know, I just, you know, I didn't want to seem out of place or weird, but they'd always kind of sit off to the side just observing like this was like a, almost a whole new world to them uh despite being familiar with the music uh this was something new to them in that regard so it was kind of neat to see and know. i was watching the mom like buying them yeah. you know merchandise and stuff it was it was cool because i um i never got to go to my first concert until number one i had a car and a vehicle and i was 17 so like i had my means to get where I needed to be to go to said concert and then you know we ended up starting to go to concerts like all together as a giant group after like in my late teens my mom would never ever I know I know your mom took you to see Striper 
that's not quite as heavy as... Well, yeah, and like I said, I think at the time, the selling point was because Trapper was Christian. Mm -hmm. Like, that was, like, the one reason why I was able to get... If I had said, let's go, can I go see Rats or, you know, Motley Crue, that, that would have been far harder to try to convince my parents to do. It's funny, um, you know, last weekend when I went to visit my aunt and uncle and hang out with my cousins and stuff, uh, Grayson and Leah have been friends since, like, kindergarten. And apparently my aunt would take them out of school early to go to concerts that, like, they corn or what like when they were in high school and you know to different like festivals and stuff they, yeah. she took her to the hf festival one time like so i'm trying to think 99 98 99 2000 2001 i think is like the times that i went and then you know it, it, it went off air and I, they came back and did like even though they were off air they did that HF Festival um, Nutcracker when we saw Corn. Mm -hmm. So I think like during then I'm in my early 20s late teens she would be like 13. Right. You know? <laughs> and then my aunt would take her to see that stuff. Which I think is kind of cool. Yeah so if you ever get a chance be sure to check out uh... And take your kids to concerts. Yeah. Yeah don't, don't hold back. I mean Allow them to find their own ways. You know, you gotta keep an eye on them. You know, you can't if there's problems going on and they're going to dark places mentally. It's not because of the music. It's just because there's stuff going on in their life that you need to keep an eye out for. But you know, if they're doing good and they're fine and they're interested in something, it doesn't matter what music genre it is. I don't care. Uh, but you know, take them out there if they're excited. You know, be have fun with them. Uh, just watch them, you know. And you might end up liking it, too. All right. All right, coming up in our next two blocks, uh, stuff from Grand Sounds Promotions, Against PR, brand new stuff from Mantar, Sun Eater, Night Bearer, and here's some brand new stuff from Carrion Vale called The Paint Shop. It's not the pie shop, it's the paint shop.
Introducing the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast, available today on your favorite podcast platform. Metal Tavern is a heavy metal, rock music, and movie podcast where they discuss movies, music, current events, and feature live interviews with bands, artists, and YouTube personalities. They spotlight independent labels and feature the underground bands the label represents. Again, that's the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast. Stream it today on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podbean, YouTube, and at the website MetalTavernRadio.com. Many episodes up for you to listen to already, and make sure you subscribe to be notified of future releases. That's the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast. Go listen, download, and subscribe today. You can also connect on Facebook. Search Metal Tavern Radio and follow the guys on Twitter at DJ Anubis88 and DJ underscore Nico Catfreak.
Jump into our rock block now. Mm-hmm. Got some new stuff from the Brian Jonestown Massacre. Neko's Pick of the Week. Also new stuff from Jack Star's Burning Star. Womack, provided by Inverse Records. Sin Sid, provided by The Males PR. And as promised, brand new stuff by Devin Townsend. This is called Moon People.
Everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings, every day, but hump day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 noon to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio.
right, Jack Stars, Burning Star with River of Blood. DJ Nubis. Here with you now with Neko's pick of the week. So my um, pick of the week is actually from a favorite movie of mine. And I also think that this song is iconic in itself because of the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a good song, but I feel like the movie just kind of took it to another level. Like anytime you hear this song, you just picture the scene from The Breakfast Club. And um, the song itself was offered to several acts before Simple Minds even agreed to record it. Like, it wasn't initially meant for them. Right. And um, what what is... I can't imagine somebody else writing, or excuse me, recording this song, because it just wouldn't be the same. Do you uh-huh. know what I mean? It just would... It has that perfect, like... That's how I always kind of look at it whenever we read about the trivia behind movies and songs and whatnot. Because, like, like, when we go back and we read about, like, actors who passed on roles that you're like, oh, wow, they could have been this character or this character. Well, the same with this music is, like, because it became such a big hit and how it was done, like, you can't imagine anyone else doing it. Like, it just doesn't fit. (laughs) Well, it was written specifically for The Breakfast Club. Like, it was was written for the score of The Breakfast Club, and some names they're throwing out were, like, uh, Billy Idol Mm -hmm. to write it or to record it. Corey Hart, who just had a hit at the same time with sunglasses at night, and um, it just didn't quite fit, and um, they reached out to Simple Minds a few times before they could get them to commit to it, and they actually said they, um, they were kind of thinking of Simple Minds when they were writing it, and that was the producer Keith Forsey and guitarist Steve Schiff while they were scoring The Breakfast Club. Um, so it instantly became a number one hit after the movie, and... Uh, yeah, it was up there for a while, I remember. So they, there were two versions of this. Um, there was a shorter version, and then a longer version which was released as a single um the that version actually has like extra breakdowns and drum fills and a second appearance appearance of the bridge and a longer ending that's what we're playing today yes that one's six minutes um a re-recorded version of the song was published on spotify and this has slightly different sound than the 80s released and different notes from the original especially the la 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 <laughs> mm-hmm. So this is obviously the song we're think we're talking about is "Don't You Forget About Me," and you I'm looking at the charts like from 1985, and it it's it hit like number one in Canada and in the Netherlands. It hit U.S. Billboard Hot 100 number one, U.S. Mainstream Rock number one. Um, it was it was big, number one in Belgium. And it was just shows you the power of a very meaningful movie, plus how an amazing soundtrack can be that strength to a movie. Mm-hmm. So let's just face it, you start thinking about movies and their soundtracks, and 
it doesn't seem like all the time the soundtrack matters. But you think of some, like we were watching Valley Girl last night. That right. movie was nothing but music. Yeah. It was meant to be about the music, about the scene. Um, you look at some other movies like, like Dirty Dancing. It was released in the 80s, but it's all like 60s music except for the uh, time of my life which was released in the 80s to be the, the and that's what happened with that movie too it was so sometimes you find that a soundtrack is non-existent in a movie hmm. and it, it really just doesn't matter and, and, and that's okay because other times like this where the soundtrack is just almost like a supporting actor and you think about that in movies where, like I was just saying about Valley Girl, there was so many, like, um, what would you call that, new wave style songs in Valley Girl, constantly. Like, I'm out with you. Yeah, like, every second it felt like they were going into a new song, and it was always like, the, the soundtrack was part of a landscape, just like breakfast club everything every song that they picked felt like it was on purpose mm -hmm. and this song just so happened to be like the credits song it happened to be the theme for the breakfast club i um what are some other movies that you've seen where like the soundtrack itself has kind of taken such a, a forefront in the movie you're, you're starting to think well man the, the soundtrack itself like it's become its own uh, it, it's two different things. I mean, I was watching a reaction video to Blade Runner 2049, and even though that's more of a soundscapes and, mm -hmm. you know, that it, it matches well with the movie, sort of like what this song does. Mm -hmm. with, but another one where we're talking about, like, specific bands or music, uh, the Crow soundtrack was very forward and upfront. Everybody was into the soundtrack just as much as the movie. And the Lost Boys. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, you think of, of movies like... And that's why they say sometimes when these directors and these companies are putting movies together, like, if you have a song that works. So, you remember a few years ago, James Bond when Adele did her... Skyfall. Right. Yeah. Now, for more modern generation people, that was a really big deal. But for me, it was always like, for your eyes only. Yeah, for your eyes only live and, let and die. live and let die. So it, it just depends on the band and like, but that's they go into these movies saying, uh, especially with the the I don't know, what, it was almost like a Brat Pack rom com type thing where they had to be looking and saying we need like a big hit musically to draw people into this film, and that's what happens. Like, it, it, or if you think of um, Dangerous Minds. Mm -hmm. With uh, was it Coolio? Mm -hmm. it, yeah, so uh, Gangster's Paradise. So again, there's there's this music or or single that excels the movie, and that's like even if that movie wasn't the movie like, was great, but yeah, like, it was the, okay. But, but you really how many the song times is like, have you heard Gangster's Paradise? Right, like or some version of it, like you know uh, uh, Weird Al did a cover uh, a Amish Paradise, <laughs> right? I I find it like interesting when when you know that the music is um like like i said almost like a character or part of the landscape um i know i i always wax poetic about my my show gilmore girls but one one part of that is is the uh lala's 
you know, like mm-hmm. that, that's always kind of like in the background. And um, the theme song, like that song is old. It's from the 70s, but they revived it in the early 2000s. And Carol King sang it with her daughter to bring it like, so everything that they've done in, in Gilmore Girls has been like to have that sound all like it has that same sound and it went on for seven seasons so when you think of something like that too like supernatural with all the the classic rock and the kansas songs like they kept like what's the right word um i don't want to say you uniformity but almost like that where each season didn't sound differently, mm-hmm. but it, it kept it cohesive by having that same theme. But that's why when you come across a song like Don't You Forget About Me when it's been on, you know, the tar- chart topping, I feel like even kids know this song. Oh, yeah. You know, this is... Yeah, it's one of those rarities where something like the movie itself like it's still timeless like Mm -hmm. it still applies today i mean there are some differences in terms of what's accepted of people and what's or what the clicks are called basically Mm. yeah but it's a i saw an interesting thing and it's a side to the song itself but uh you remember ali sheedy's character who's more of like the gothy kind of like the yeah the loner uh there were people actually kind of criticizing the fact that Claire was kind of like forcing her to change into something that she wasn't. Now granted uh, I forget she's character's name but she kind of accepted that because she kind of wanted to come she, out of She that. actually wanted friends but right. she didn't know how to like get right. out of her shell. So but of course people were arguing like you know the only way that uh, Emilia Estevez's character would take notice of her is she you know prettied up yeah, or whatever. Yeah she, she got she got glamoured. Right. So there was like this and, and I mean to me, honestly, it's like, I think anyone, if it watched that movie, you kind of understand both, uh, you know, Michael C. Hall's character, who is the very nerdy one, who has a very powerful moment in that film, uh, dealing with suicide. Like, you can just look at it from any angle. Like, it's, I, I find Everybody it, has pressures, and I think that's what they were really right, kind like, of you know, focusing on. Molly Ringwald, you know, later, years later, complained about the, the scene with uh, Judd Nelson, you know, between her legs and when I'm like, I get it, but then, like, guys are kind of stupid at teenager age, so... They would know. totally do it, because it's inappropriate, and why would they not Right, do it? and it's not like... You know, when you look at Bender's character, it's not like the guy was necessarily trying to harm Claire in any way. It's just he's dealing with his own issues. And, sure, his outlook with with girls at that time is not the most positive one, but especially with her because she was this richie girl who he felt kind of, like, looked down on him. Mm -hmm. Like, she felt like she was... And even, like, what what Emilio Estevez said, he's like, if you disappeared from the face of the earth, no one would care. Like, right. That's the type, of, the way that they looked at Bender. Right. So all of them had issues, and they all kind of worked through it towards the end of the film, which I thought was the bigger and greater point of the film, is that they all saw each other as actual people rather than, like, a piece of a clique. And even if they don't, like, you know, you, you look at, oh, let's let's look at and be positive and happy, and maybe they are all best friends, and maybe Monday they do go back to their cliques, but maybe they're better people now. And they understand, like, what's going on a lot better so that they can 
Yeah, because they can understand Instead it. Of Not everybody has the same people. problem. Exactly. Yeah. Like, um, you know, I forgot his character name, but like you said, Michael C. Hall with the, um, he was kind of like the nerdy guy, but everything for him was about getting the best grades because he was kind of like low middle class and the whole idea was he needed these grades because he wanted to go to college and his parents couldn't put him through college but then you look at Claire and she's eating sushi for lunch and you know got brand new diamond earrings and she could go to college if she wanted to but just does not give a shit and for Michael C. Hall he was all he wanted was yeah I, I thought I saw it as Claire kind of got everything she wanted and that but she didn't even want it she wanted Look. attention from her parents but then Estevez's character as the jock you know his dad want him to kind of like let loose and be a bully or whatever it is and then bend her down with family problems with his dad being very abusive uh, and... Michael C. Hall's character the nerdy one whose pressure is to keep his grades up and then he takes a shop class to which he's not very good at and then of course Ali Sheedy's character who really their, her parents don't give a shit what she does she just shows up to detention for the hell of it because she's bored and she doesn't like it at home so they all have like different areas and they all kind of like learn that each one of them has their own set of problems mm -hmm. that just are different than everyone else's it's but a, the song totally encapsulates all of that it just you start thinking when you hear this song it just brings you right into the movie like footloose mm -hmm. you know it's yeah. that's another i mean these are this is another 80s movie it's danger zone yeah yeah. Which they still used in Maverick. Yeah. So just, when you listen to this song, um, if you've never seen The Breakfast Club, but you've heard this song, make some time to watch The Breakfast Club. It's, it's very short. It's not a long movie. And even if you are out of high school, maybe it'll make you think back to, like, how you felt in high school. You know, everybody kind of has their own place in high school, whether it's a clique or maybe you're in band or or you're a jock or whatever, it, it'll kind of make you think when you throw a bunch of people together who are in complete opposites of the world, that they still do have a lot of things in common, whether you want to admit it or not. Yeah. So that, that's my spiel. I really hope you enjoyed this song, Don't You Forget About Me. I enjoy it all the time. And um, again, Watch The Breakfast Club and put on your retro glasses right now and be ready to be transported back to 1985. So without further ado, here is Don't You Forget About Me. Attention please. Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. We will bring you on a journey like there's no tomorrow, and we will break new ground. Hailing from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome DJ Neko's pick of the week.
your troubles and doubts Giving me everything inside and out and Love strange, surreal and dark Think of the tender things that we were working on Slow change may pull us apart When a life gets in your heart, baby Don't you forget about me
it's called Untold. We watched another one. I'm trying to think which one it was, but it's mostly about sports. And this one that we decided to look at was about the Manti Teo incident. <laughs> yeah. So for those that don't know, uh, Manti Teo is uh, a football player who in college uh, attended Notre Dame. Uh, one of the best linebackers uh, to come out, or at least highly uh, recruited, and uh, very, very good player. Uh, and But around his junior year, I believe, he uh, was starting to converse via text with, what was the girl's name? Katula, I think? Uh, it, it started with a K. Yeah, so keep in mind, Monte Teo is Hawaiian and or Samoan, and most of the people that he talks with or you know converses with is not just his family, but this this girl who seems to be also uh, Samoan or Hawaiian, if you want to put it that way. Uh, so he starts uh, chatting with her, and they become pretty good friends online. Kakuya. Kakuya. Lene Kakuya. Lene, that's it. Uh, so. Basically, what ends up happening, he's over in Notre Dame, and she's in Hawaii. Well, she No, she's in Stanford. Stanford, excuse me. And so, uh, they they get to know each other a little bit. Then they become basically dating. They're boyfriend and girlfriend, but it's and long they found distance. This is back in, you got to remember how long ago this was. This is 2009-ish, 2010-ish, when... Um, Facebook wasn't what it was. It was there, but it wasn't what it was. And that's kind of like how they started talking. Um, this person, I'm going to use air quotes, Lene, had created her profile and her whole life, like relatives and stuff that, but in a way that people that she would talk to who were also friends were also kind of friends with uh, Manti Teo. And he even said in this doc that when he um, started talking to Lanai um, that he went through like a mutual friend and said what do you know about this girl Lanai and he's like oh yeah I've been talking to her and you know I think a lot of that when you hear that you're especially when you're in college and they're in two different states you're like oh well, this person knows that this that Lanai is legit and that she's all right yeah so, he he develops this relationship with her, and time goes on. Time goes. They've never seen each other, and of course, the parents are like, you know, are you sure this person is legit? You know, there's always this like hesitancy because they haven't seen her or actually met her. But the parents and uh, Monte have actually talked to her on the phone, so they've actually physically talked to her on the phone. Uh, to the point that they're like, okay, well, she's for real, you know, and like Monte and Lene had been talking almost nightly for a couple of years while he's at college. Uh, but there was this weird thing where every time that he was trying to say, look, I might try to fly out and see you or... Let's do a FaceTime. Yeah, let's, yeah, even FaceTime on the phone and there would be always some reason why Lene would not want to do it. So, um... The thing is, as this relationship started to get closer and closer for both of them, 
uh, it became clear that Lene was going to have to figure something out, which we've discovered, you know, now. Back then, of course, it was long after the fact, but now, with, through everything else, that Lene is actually uh, a person uh, named Renaya, Rosea. Uh, I can't. You have to understand this person's actually transitioned within the last few years as a female. So initially it was a male. So you had a gentleman uh, who was posing as female because I'm assuming he's gay. Because the whole point was to kind of meet guys. But he was doing it under, under a guise of a woman. Which well, I he, guess he, he felt he, trans was, he transitioned into a woman because he was trans but did not feel comfortable coming out as trans to his family because he also said right it's very kind of a weird situation he, he, he didn't he's like i really hated football and like in hawaii when you're involved in football and he played football it's a big deal yeah. it's a big deal um he said so as he was going through all of this and still continuing his side you know secret project as his girlfriend of manzai he was just trying to focus on like his family's church and stuff because he was trying to really you know, like, feel better about himself, but he couldn't, you know, he just couldn't place, like, something is off, and he just felt so much more like himself when he was pretending to be Lanai. Right. Uh, but like I said, the relationship was getting really close, but so now... Renaya, that's his Renaya. name. Renaya. So, basically, Renaya, at this point, knowing that the relationship is getting too close, and Monte is, like, actually gaining a lot of national attention as a player had to find a way to break it off. The, the prop for Renai, of course, is that he actually really likes Monte, but that Monte has no idea that it's a man that he's been talking to. So that's the dilemma. So Renaya has also posed as other family members of Lene. So like whether it's a sister... Or a cousin. <laughs> cousin. Brother. Yeah, so... He, somehow Renaya has managed to conjure all these characters that have conversed with not only Monteo, but uh, his parents and everything else. So what ends up happening is Renaya ends up calling Monty as the sister and saying that Lene has been in a car accident and she's really hurt. This is his way of trying to break off this thing because eventually tells Monte that, uh, well... Linnea supposedly got better, and then something happened where... They, they said that, that while she was going through her her um, car accident, they found out she had leukemia. Right. Which, eventually, Renea says that she passes away from. This is, you know, Renea calling... Pretending it's the cousin of right. Linnea. And saying that Linnea has passed away. So now, Monty is devastated. Like, he's no clue that, you know, Linnea's a guy or anything, just... And this is hours after his mother... Is his mother or grandmother? Grandmother. Grandmother passed away, so... Monty's dealing with, like, a lot of sorrow in the same day. Uh, but this starts to become national news just because Monty eventually goes out uh, the next season and starts playing, like, inspired football. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's all dedicated to... His grandmother and his girlfriend have passed away. It becomes a national story. Sports Illustrates, like, hey, you know, we got to feel bad for this kid. You know, he was he, in the finalist for the Heisman Trophy. Right. Uh, then about, as they finish the season, they're getting ready to play for a national championship. 
And and he's again. This is he's up for the Heisman Trophy. <laughs> right. He gets a call, and it, initially it's supposed to be Lene's sister. Uh, but then Renaya decides that he can't let go of the relationship. This is the, the issues that Renaya is facing because he has feelings for Monty and he loves the attention that he's getting from it because it's this relationship that it's not real but it is real to him or her however you want to break it well at that point it, he, he still hadn't transitioned right so. but I mean they always consider himself still female uh, so Renai posing as the sister decides to say I'm going to pretend I'm Lene again and pretend that I was, it was actually a lie so, it was a lie because it was something top secret yeah <laughs> Something crazy, and Monty, not sure how to react, is like, one, probably uh, a little skeptical, but also... And angry. Angry and emotional about it, and he ends up not having the best game of his life against the, the, the Crimson Tide in the National Championship game, so... But no one at this point knows that Lene is alive except for his coaches and, like, I don't think he even told his parents, did he, at that point? No, not at, not at that point. But he went to his coaches and said, I don't know what's going on, but I do know that my girlfriend and the family told me that she passed away, and now I'm getting proof that Calls it. she is alive. And the thing that was really interesting is Renaya was using this photo of a girl that he knew from high school and um, was creating his Facebook profile with all these pictures of this girl mm -hmm. under Lene. So Monte, Monte was like, listen, if this is really you, I need you to text me right now with a picture of yourself with What's today's up? date and like Something some kind of like hand message. signal that they had together and then he got the the text and when they asked when they were interviewing Renaya like down the line he said I lied to the girl I you know I was just an acquaintance of her so she still had my my phone number yeah and stuff, he but basically said this is for a friend of mine can you do yeah, this yeah sick friend and yeah uh, but what ends up happening is after the national championship game uh, someone gets in touch with a guy at Deadspin which is a magazine that breaks like sports stories. I mean, they're not. And this was major. in the this was the infancy of Deadspin. They had three people, and yeah. they were all working like out of not one office, but somebody's working at home, one person's working somewhere else. It was yep. a tiny, tiny publication, and they get an email from someone saying, "Lene doesn't exist." Yeah, Lene is fake. is fake, and they never revealed who that person was. I don't know if they knew who that person was, like. Or if the person yeah, remained but I, anonymous. But I think what they did was, in the process of doing it, they gave them enough breadcrumbs to follow, to which they did. And sure shit, they found out that Lene didn't exist, and they were... I think they were looking at photos, and they found the original girl. They did a reverse Google image yeah. search, and they found her. Because they said anything that we would look up, you know, about Lene... All it would, it, there was nothing. Her they, passing it, away, or no, there was nothing. There was no um, yeah. funeral records. There was nothing in Stanford that she was a student, and the only thing that they could find was mention of her as Montaiteo's uh, girlfriend. So Deadspin starts taking all this information, then they find out like 
the girl, the picture is not really Lene. Right, it's a different girl entirely, but it's the same picture. So, uh, Timothy Burke and Jack Dickey are the ones from Deadspin who were following this up. And uh, so clearly, they, as they dig more and more, they, they come across Renaya. This is through, like, IP addresses or something. Somehow they've managed to they kind of, like, tie everything to Renaya, this guy, somehow, because he's playing, of course, the cousin of Lene. So, uh, shit starts, I forget how it really unravels to Monty, but, uh, I guess, well, what happened was, uh... Deadspin reached out they, to the coaches and to Monte and, and to, nobody was answering. And nobody was answering, so they said, you know what, we don't need confirmation, we have enough information, right. we've given them time to respond, so we're releasing the, the story. Now, keep in mind, at this point, Monte has been on stage for the Heisman and uh, talking about the championship game, and he has not mentioned... He hasn't gone into full detail about talking with Lene, but he hasn't also uh, corrected the idea that Lene is still alive. Like, he hasn't done anything to dispel that. So when he's being asked how he feels about his girlfriend passing away, he plays along, and this is his mistake, but... Again, there's some reasons for this because this is a kid who's about ready to enter the NFL draft, and the last thing he wants, he's hoping to avoid, is this public thing. And he even went to his family and his coaches, and they're like, right now we should just keep it quiet until we have more information of but what that the problem is. turns out to be a mistake because Deadspin goes forward with their story, and now you can't avoid it. Like, you have to address it. And so they explained that... Uh, Monte was catfished. Uh, they were using um, Diane O'Meara's image that was what was his name? Uh, Renaya. Renaya's acquaintance, friend, that they actually even reached out, Deadspin did, to her asking if she knew what was going on. And she was just as shocked, so that's why they, they did, Deadspin did not just, they said they worked on this for months. They didn't just, like, today I feel like when there's any kind of, like, sniff of a news story, people just throw it out there. They they don't check the facts. They don't research. And Deadspin was like, we it's get. It's actually not changed much because as this doc goes on, we learn more and more just how much the media, in fact, one thing the guys from Deadspin says is when we went into this, we didn't even ex- want to hurt Monte. They were after the media because they're like, the media is the one that never followed up on this at all. So when Monte explained that his girlfriend had passed away, no one even gave it a second thought. They just like, mm, okay. Uh, they didn't. They didn't contact the parents because no, don't you think that's like something that would happen? Like you'd contact the well, parents. Anything or... or like, you know, like okay. Uh, you know, you have your girlfriend that passed away. Well, can we speak to the sister? Or... Why didn't you go to the funeral? Right. Like... like, there's just so much the media didn't even bother with. And I guess some of it is they were, like, trying to be cautious of his emotions. But, like, after two years, you know, going into that final year, you have, like, an entire uh, college year where you're just not doing anything else. You're just continuing to go, oh, his girlfriend's dead. Like, who does that? And so Deadspin, they were, like, basically calling these guys out. 
uh, for not fact-checking stuff, and that's what they were after. However, they did not expect it to blow up so bad on Monty himself, because, and that's where the problem with Monty is, where he didn't correct himself or correct or come out ahead of it, and that backfired. Uh, now, the one thing that Neck and I agree on is that at the time, the jokes were flying. Like, we were all part of that joke system where, you know, the, the fake invisible girlfriend and, you know, making fun of Monte and how could you be so gullible. But as I really watched the doc more and more, I kind of realized that it's really not anyone else's fault. Yeah, we all were a part of it, but we were all fooled just like he was with the media. We did not... The media didn't cover the catfishing. They were making it more like Monte was stupid. Right, yeah. And so, to us, it's kind of like, we trust you who's supposed to look out for us. And this is something that we've talked about regarding stuff today with politics and everything else, where the media has its own agenda. It, it has its own corruption. It, it only wants the meaty stuff that's bad, like very rarely will you get good feeling stories and this was like an early part of it because here you have the media basically once they've been outed of being idiots they still ran on the idea that monte was the problem like they didn't even bring Renaya into the fold until right. they went on Dr. Phil, which is a talk show. Right. They did not, like, the mainstream media did not cover that this person who was going through their own mental health struggles and identity struggles didn't, they didn't speak to him and say, yeah, I did this. It was more like they thought Monte was making up this girlfriend to, like, they were making it seem like Monte had, like, an quote-unquote online girlfriend, and he got, like, had, which he did, but they did not go into the ins and outs of what went into this, because it made you think it was very common back then, and it is still now, but it was more back then, um, I think, maybe just because I was younger, I, I identify with it more, and I had friends who strike up relationships with people online, and then your boyfriend and girlfriend online. And then you're in a real relationship, even though you've never met these people. And it wasn't so uncommon that people did that. And um, so when it happened, we were more like thinking that Monty was making stuff up. Not that he actually was involved and, yeah. and hurt by a elaborate scam that somebody did not for any kind of financial gain not for any kind of notoriety selfish. it was just because that person it was selfish for them but it was also that person just really wanted to be somebody they weren't and they did have feelings for monte they you we never heard any of this stuff the back problem in 2013 is, though, as you pointed out earlier off air was they went a great distance now with Naya, who is the... Now transitioned. Right. To make Naya look like a sympathetic character. Uh, and Naya doesn't really seem to show much remorse for everything. It's all, she had a lot of excuses as to why she did it and why she kind of feels like she's justified. And it's just, it's kind of disturbing because this is a person who really hasn't accepted the gravity of what she did to this guy because yet people have to understand Monte 
He was supposed to be a first-round draft pick. That, uh, he had mental and emotional breakdown while the, with the Chargers. Like, he couldn't play because something was going on. He was having a hard time dealing with what happened. Uh, family, uh, family life was tough. Because uh, part of that is, again, the media said, well... Monte has to be in on us. He has to be gay. That's why he's covering his son. Oh, that's right. They kept they kept like saying that's he's hiding his homosexuality. Right. And, and it, then his parents for we they were interviewing his parents, but they were like angry at mom. You could tell at certain points where they were kind of blaming him too, still to this day, being like he should have known better. Yeah. And I mean Yeah, it's just really sad and it changes your whole perspective on Monte Teo and what happened there. And I just, for me, yeah, we're guilty of it for sure, but I'm going to hold the media responsible because they're the ones that are giving us the information. There's no way that anybody cracks these kind of jokes, at least on the level that we all did, or come down as hard on Monte if the media didn't portray him in a certain light, which is what they did. We had, We never had this information that we have now. So kudos to Netflix and whoever did the doc because this opened up a lot of door, uh, a lot of windows that no one got to see in, and uh, it's a shame that what happened to this guy because I feel really bad that he had to go through this because. And he's a much better person than I am because I. Yeah, he ended up forgiving. Yeah, he said I just want to give love and forgiveness to Renaya, uh, blah blah blah, but. But he's just, like, a, a generally good dude. That's why. Like, he, I'm not that way. He, well, he recently got, I think, what... Because he's been approached many times. Right. For interviews and stuff like this, and he's declined. But he recently got married um, in 2020. And I think now that his NFL career is winding down, and, you know, it, I don't think it was what he had expected. And I hate to say it, but it was a direct result of what happened to him. Of course it was. And I mean, it, it was clear the day that it affected him in the championship game. Now, granted, they played with Alabama, who is like a machine, so the chances of them beating Alabama that day were already slim, but when you take but out your best player back, mentally... He brought back Notre Dame. Like, oh, Notre yeah. Dame was on life support, and then when Monte Teo got there... He was there, basically the, the Rudy story of the modern day at, at that point. Uh... But, yeah, I think uh, in a lot of ways Netflix was tiptoeing around the trans thing because there wasn't much criticism of Naya and how she handled all this and he handled all this back in the day. Uh, and that's sort of one of the things that bothers me even with the Ezra Miller thing is that because people come out and they say they're non-binary or trans or whatever, it's like we have to step on eggshells, you know, not to be able to criticize. Like kind of tiptoe around it. I mean, just because... Because the reality is they're, they're all human. And so they deserve just as much criticism as anybody else, like when they fuck up. Like, that's... We have to quit pretending that, like, they're special snowflakes. They're not. Uh, certainly trans and non-binary people take a lot of abuse. We're not arguing that fact. and never have. But at some point, you have to be able to hold these people accountable. Um, you know, on a side note, I had an issue on the Dojo Army on our Fat Samurai Guy page the other day. Uh, I was making reference to the new Hellraiser movie coming out that when they advertised for it, they were basically saying, you know, uh, this movie's going to star trans actress Jamie Clayton. 
and I'm like, okay, well that's great, but why do we need to even throw trans in there? Why can't we just say actress? Uh, the fact that she's trans has no bearing on it whatsoever. If she can act, that's what matters. Well, anyway, somebody who happens to be trans or at least an alliance with trans people got angry about it with me. So I tried to clear it up, and when I did, uh, they would rather throw insults and accuse me of being transphobic and everything else, which was incorrect. Uh, and at that point, I had to ban them. Like, I didn't have a choice. And I got in touch with the owner, which is Samurai, and... I discussed it with him. I said, look, if you want to nuke the entire thread, that's fine. I'll, I can, I'll be happy to do that. Uh, but I just said I had to take this action because this person just wasn't being civil and they weren't being reasonable. And I think you have to point out, when, when we were making, when you were making this comment, it wasn't about... Um, it wasn't anti-trans. It, it wasn't about the trans thing. It was... It was, you were basically saying, I wish they didn't say trans actress and just said actress because that was the best actress for this job. Like, just because you don't need to say this person is trans and that makes them better as an actress, you just say this is the best actress right. for the job. Because there was a, when we talked about the Prey movie, there was a, a black woman who's a critic and she's like, you know, this movie's not very good. Now, granted, we thought it was better than she did, but she was like, the most embarrassing thing about Prey was that they were pandering to people about feminism. And she hates that because she's a feminist. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what I kind of felt like this uh, advertisement for Hellraiser was doing. They were basically pandering to the trans community saying, oh, but we have a trans... It's like they don't even really give a shit that she's trans. They just want to use it. To promote the exactly. suit. Exactly. They want to be and like, that's oh, what look was at that us. We're, we're supporting right. trans And that's what people. was fucking irritating me. I'm like... Either this person can act, or you're just just trying to be an asshole for the sake of being an asshole. And this person that got upset with me didn't understand that, and I was trying to convey that to them, and they didn't want to listen. They're using that as a way to uh, publicize. Right. So I'm basically like, I agree with you, man. Like trans people do matter, but like you need to understand where I'm coming from. It's not that I'm saying being anti-trans, I'm saying it's a joke because they're using it as a platform to try to promote this series, which is stupid. If that person can act... That's pandering. That's making it... To me, worse. It's, it's, it's making it worse for right. trans people. Like, exactly. Oh, you're throwing me a bone because I'm trans. <laughs> Thank that's not, you. That's not how you want to do it. You want, as a, any person who is an actor, you want to be recognized because you are a good actor. So if you're saying, oh, we just gave this to so-and-so because she's trans... That's that sucks. You don't want to be known as the person who is trans and just got a job because they're trans. Right. It's it does a more of a disservice, mm -hmm. and I didn't want that. Like that's what I was kind of getting at, and you know, unfortunately, this person didn't understand that and would rather pick a fight with me rather than understand where I was coming from, and that's unfortunate. And unfortunately, I noticed today they they actually posted something against samurai i didn't mention the samurai because i didn't want it to drag on and on and on but that post has since disappeared which i thought was kind of funny oh how interesting yeah i i think it's important as you know a general public we have to recognize that with this it involves trans people and with the world it involves you'll you probably have met trans people and don't even know that you've met trans people 
you don't have to like well, I mean, put them on showcase and be like, look at all these trans people. And it's not that they can't act because who's the one that's in Orange is the New Black? Laverne Cox. Yes, She's very amazing. Good. Very good. The best thing that I, I didn't even realize this because um, I thought it was her, but it wasn't. Um, she has a twin brother, right? And there are some scenes because in Orange is the New Black, the story that Laverne Cox is going through is she was transitioning herself in the the show mm -hmm. and they showed some flashbacks and i'm like damn this makeup the, like they they untrans laverne because she's fully transitioned and um in this in the show and they do the flashbacks when uh he was still a firefighter and you know they but it's her twin brother like it just <laughs> it was just so i was like so I, that's, we're, again, this is not any kind of attack at trans people, like, this is not what it is, but we're, we're trying to say, we understand, and... Just don't use it as a platform. Exactly, like, like we, we understand, like, Renaya's issues that he had at the time, and now he is working, she is, because at the, at the time he was still right. identifying as he, now she is coming out and, and understanding, I, I kind of put this in, like, two baskets, immaturity and dealing with I'm not sure what my identity is right and both of those things going on inside someone's head it was almost like for for Renaya doing this was almost like a therapy where he couldn't talk to anybody and then he has Monty there and pretending he is um, his girlfriend it was almost that was what he and he couldn't let go of it because he felt normal he felt like who he was supposed she was supposed to be and couple that with immaturity you don't realize how hurtful and how damaging that can be but it still is really shitty because we saw the downfall of Mendeiteo like he he dropped the second round he lost like millions of dollars in guaranteed signing bonuses he um suffered from like severe anxiety for like three years on the field uh, -huh. uh because he felt like every day he would go out there and people are just like booing him because he's manti too um he jumped around to a couple of different teams he never had like a really and this is a guy that probably if this wouldn't have happened he could have been like Ray Lewis that's what I was getting ready to say he had that potential and it's like you know the Brian Erlackers and all that he had the potential to be one of the best linebackers in the game and it shows how mental the game of football is mm -hmm. as well as physical so if you're fucked up in the head and you God God bless him he is yeah to lose your almost your entire career even though you played football and he was on teams he basically lost what could have been, mm -hmm. but he, as you said, he's mentally gotten better and mentally looked at it in reflection and says, you know what, that just is what it is. I'm better now. Uh, I'm married, and I forgive Renaya for what happened, or Naya. And uh, he, he's in a better place mentally to the point that he's forgiven everything. And it's like some of us, I know, like you lose 10 to 12 years of what could have been it could have changed their life in a different way and some people are bitter like i would if he would if he would have been bitter towards that i would understand it 
Like, I wouldn't have been, like, second-guessed it. I can give you a perfect example. Like, I think... I'm going to get real psychological here. Hmm. Some of my dad's problems that have kind of gotten, you know, snowballing, he was, like, a huge pitching prospect when he was in high school and in college. And he had two really big incidents that happened where he injured his um, shoulder. And then he also... Um, was kind of hot-headed like he is now, but like when you look at an 18-year-old who's hot-headed and like throws the glove and so he lost out on a couple of contracts that people were scouting on him and he does the opposite of what Monty does. He thinks back, God, if I would have not had that happen to me and had to get like rotator cuff surgery and had, didn't lose my cool... I would have been retired at like in 1995 and I would have been done or even before then because he graduated high school in 76 like he's like my life would have been so much better and I think sometimes he holds that bitterness too much and then Mm -hmm. he doesn't realize that's what the bitterness is and he just kind of like if he I think that's why he's such like a control freak like if he doesn't get exactly what he wants all the time the way he wants it it's sort of uh entitlement yeah he feels like he lost out some narrow and and he can't control if he can't control it he gets really pissed off it's like i don't like the way that you're doing that so i get pissed off at you i swear to god i i like you just like opened my eyes to this by talking about this story because I would also feel like I would not be as good of a man as Montaiteo, where he and he's very rooted. I know in, I wouldn't. Yeah, he's very rooted in his Christian um, faith, and he has totally given the forgiveness, and he's accepted. But me, I don't think I would be. I'd be so upset so much that it would like haunt me the rest of my life. And then when I think about like what happened to my dad in the seventies. Which, one thing was not his fault because it was an injury, but the other thing was 100% his fault that he could have, after he was there at the scouting, it's kind of like the combine in NFL, but it's like for baseball, that he was at the scouting sessions and got pissed off about something, and instead of just being mature and walking off, he, you know, acted a fool. Mm -hmm. I think he's saying to himself, you know, I was an immature 18-year-old, and... I feel like I've ruined my life because of it. Yeah. So, sorry, Dad. If anyway, it's not. I'm not trying. I'm not trying to psychoanalyze you, but like this kind of brought up the whole Manti Teo thing. So, he's never gonna listen. No, he won't. <laughs> uh, but it's a good doc, and it's definitely gonna change your perspective. It's actually really heartwarming. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like it gets sad and happy and very interesting too. As I said, like those two guys that. Dead took yeah took a, a an honest tip and just said you know what we're gonna figure we're, it out we're gonna go check this out because as they said as you said initially when they did the google search there was like nothing on this. all they all they wanted to and and i think because that i when the when the interviewer was interviewing them i feel like Deadspin was really remorseful at times. They're like, we're not sorry for reporting the news, but we're sorry that nobody paid attention to our article. And all they pulled out of it was Montateo was catfish. They didn't right. pay attention to the fact that ESPN and all these, these were former CBS Sports news, Illustrated guys who said, you know, 
we wanted to expose the main media for not doing thorough research. What they're supposed to be doing. And then what ended up happening is it just fell back on Monte Tail, and it's like, oh my god, what did we do? You know, because like, they wanted to make sure it was out there, but then it's like, we fucked this dude so hard. Yeah, they wanted to be like, look how stupid Sports Illustrated looks. But that also shows you like how it works with journalism. And, and the media. Because people are trying to beat each other's stories. That's why they're getting lazier. Like, it's like, oh, we can't worry about research. We have to get this out. We have to be the first. Like, that's part of the problem. And so they, we have to get off of that idea and get back to quality reporting because you're, you're destroying lives in the midst of this. And I found myself, like, I, I do enjoy, you see me, I read the news all the time. It could be something as simple as local news, but I do like to, I, I, I like to read stories about things and... I know if I'm reading something from from one source, it's going to be very superficial and and I don't need to take it more than face value. But if I read some other things, I know that they've done the research and it's reputable and I don't have to go and do my own like searches and say, okay, especially if I'm reading up something super heavy, like, you know, I don't, I don't know about with the Trump thing. Like everybody Mm -hmm. is reporting on the Trump thing everybody's reporting like the surface level information but when i want to find out like what implications does this really mean and what was found nobody's saying these things they're just being like bad trump you were rated so you have to go to like a lot of these independent oh i do i do that all the time like if i see something and i go okay i google it and the first two things that pop up is cnn and fox news i'm like i can't do those because if i try to post that article to the Broncos form in their PR section because there's a lot of back and forth in there between Democrats and Republicans. I'm oh, like, really? Yeah. So if I go, though, if I go and post uh, Fox News, the left is all gonna automatically dismiss it. They're gonna like, oh, well, look where it's coming from. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna go look for someone who's not attached to any of these people. Yeah, like the Atlantic or right, just uh, anything. Politico or you. You have to really. Sometimes I even go to like the UK news. Um, not the Daily Mail, because that's like their gossip, but sometimes I do look at the UK news because they have no real, like, interest. Sometimes they do. They, you know, stuff but, like the Guardian, and then they, they, at times, I mean, they don't really buy all into what we the way we do, but yeah, sometimes they do have agendas, but it, either way, you can find some just random journalists who don't really have a side, per se, and they're just like, they're going to report because that's really what it's supposed to be about. It's just reporting the news. You're not... I know I hate to say because... I don't want this to drag on too long, but... I, you know, it's, it's not that you're not allowed as a journalist or a reporter to put your own your own opinion in things. Because you do have that you, freedom. You should because that's... Well, I don't think you should because that's what happens is we end up becoming... That's, it just becomes more and more of a problem. You start doing it more and more to the point that now that we have people pushing agendas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, see, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, so you're, you're it, thinking, I'm thinking more like put your flavor on it. Right, like yeah. No, that's basically fine. Basically saying... And even if you say, yeah, I kind of agree with this, but... This is what happened, and I agree or disagree. That, <laughs> right. That's how you kind of right. should present it. Yeah, if you're starting to say that, you know, you're making jokes about Trump or... And it's, I'm just, I can't take you seriously because you've already got it in your head that you don't like this particular person, whether it's Clinton, uh, Trump, or whoever. Right now, Trump's the easiest, like person to use because there's been so much news about it from well, every it, single yeah, different... Yeah, and you know, look, he self-destructs all the time, so I don't really care about Trump. 
but I do wish that the media would kind of be more balanced in their approach, uh, at least the mainstream media. There are people that will call them both out or whatever, but anyway, this doc is very good. Yes. Check it out. And remember, the purpose of everything that happened was to examine the media. So yeah. as you watch this documentary, take from it what you want, but then also do what I did and start like reading a little, you know, tertiary articles about not what people feel about the doc, but maybe some more information that might have been left out of the doc because you can only do so much in four hours. Yeah, I mean, it definitely shows you how the media can sway people. That's sort of the bottom line of what we're getting at here. All right, coming up in the next block of music, new stuff from Castrator as well as Trader Brazil. But here is uh, Sacrifix provided by Jay-Z Press. This is Raped Democracy.
Patrick from the Canadian Press Metal band Reanimator, and you're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. This is the Retro Movie Vault with your hosts DJ Anubis and DJ Neko only on Metal Tavern Radio. You haven't heard anybody say anything about either one of these. Well, what about these two? They suck. These are the same two movies? You weren't paying any attention. No, I wasn't. I don't think your manager would appreciate it. I appreciate your ruse, ma'am. I beg your pardon? Your ruse, your cunning attempt to trick me. What's the rig? The rig! How is she? Got a cracked timing case cover and it's broken a couple of teeth off the timing gears. Got a cracked timing case cover, it's broken a couple of teeth off the timing gear. Yeah, the radiator's damaged at the core. The radiator's damaged at the core. It's got a cracked water pump. It's got a cracked water pump. And a fractured injector line. It's got a fractured injector line. <laughs> well, what does all that mean? Okay, but what does that mean? What does that mean? 24 hours. 24 hours? They've got 12. You've got 12! Okay. Okay. (laughs) Alright. Little clip there from The Road Warrior 1982. Starring Mel Gibson, Bruce Spence... Uh, Kajel Nielsen as well as Vernon Wells and uh, obviously most people are familiar with Mel Gibson of course this is The Road Warriors a sequel to Mad Max from 1979 basically uh, Road Warrior is taking place when the earth basically We've run out of gas, basically, because of all the infighting between countries and their politicians and stuff like that. So, basically, we've fallen apart as a civilization, and anarchy is reign supreme. you got a bunch of gangs and, uh, I don't want to say, uh, marauders running around trying to uh, get any bit of fuel that they can to keep their machines running. Uh, now, for Max who's a former cop and he's already dealt with all his bullshit with losing his family and everything in Mad Max. Uh, we open up Road War where he's being pursued by some marauders, uh, one of them being uh, Vernon Wills, who we know from Commando and Weird Science. Uh, he's like this mohawk-driven, crazy marauder dude, a wonderful actor, uh, always playing bad bad guys <laughs> for whatever reason. Uh but uh, they're chasing Max early in the film, and of course, uh, there's a couple other cars with them that one of them wrecks. And so it's it's interesting to watch this film where 
whatever vehicles wrecked, there's at least somebody rushing to get the gas that's leaking out of the car because it's so precious. They don't, precious. Have, they don't have like refineries or anything. Well, there's the one uh, at the camp where we'll get to in a minute. But for the most part, yeah, it's so scarce that uh, in order to keep these machines running, especially for the Marauders, it's 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 all about for them. They're just like locusts. They'll they'll gather together and they'll they'll kill people and you know rape, pillage, whatever, and get the fuel and just keep moving on until they find. But uh, Max Case, you know, he, he gets a little bit of it. He has his first like interaction with uh i forget uh, what is his name in this a uh, wes that's the uh vernon wells character and uh he manages to escape that because he's already killed the other two guys that were with wes and wes has his boyfriend on the back of his bike and he says i'm not gonna uh take this guy on he's he's pretty much a bass and i've got this arrow on my leg right now from the guy shooting me so <laughs> he takes off and so max gets his feel from what he can he's like taking sponges and soaking it up and it's it's really a desperate thing to keep his car running which is an old classic interceptor from the first film which is great um shortly after max uh comes across bruce spence character the gyro captain they call him they don't even give him a name just gyro captain <laughs> well it happens a lot because uh the virginia hay plays the warrior woman they don't even give her a name either she's uh she's warrior woman right so she's just like one of the standouts uh in terms of the film but they don't have a name for her uh even for nielsen who plays the lead villain they just call him the humongous <laughs> but at least he has somewhat of a name he is not because they, they kept saying the humongous mm -hmm. will destroy you yeah uh so max eventually he's uh, it, they're using I know they do a lot of shooting at this point out in Australia and I think they did so at Fury Road too but uh, Max comes across this like little helicopter thing and it's got like a snake on it looks more like, like a pipe looks like a python but it doesn't look deadly but of course they're pretending that it is uh, to which he's able to snag the snake and get it off but uh, the gyro captain's hidden in the dirt jumps up with his little uh, crossbow and he's trying to take uh max hostage for his own fuel in his car uh now na naturally uh max has his car booby trapped so like anybody tries to steal it or steal the gas and don't know where the little secret uh, secret switch is underneath the car to shut off the bomb will go up in flames <laughs> uh but of course the guy captain not knowing there's a bond there but thinks there might be a weapon which there was uh says you know a smart guy like you might have a weapon under there. I just better not do that. So he shuts off the the bomb, and but the guy or captain doesn't pay attention to what's inside the car, which is his little Max's little dog or dingo, whatever you want to call it, that jumps out and attacks the guy or captain. And of course, Max gets the upper hand. So he takes the guy or captain captive for a little while. I forget what the purpose was initially. I guess it was just to kind of like, oh, because. The captain knew where this big camp was, where they had a bunch of gasoline. And so, uh, obviously, he also warned him that it's being harassed by the Humongous and his cronies of marauders who are trying to get in. Now, you have these normal people trying to protect this, this tanker plus the uh, the pump that's used, the oil pump that's there. Because uh, it's really probably one of the few that's even out there anymore. And so... They have their own little built-in flame flowers and like 
their uh, archers. There's not many bullets. Like, really, I think even for Max, like, he eventually gets a hold of a few shotgun shells, but it, it's scarce. Like, just those type of weapons don't really exist. So it's either blades or uh, arrows, stuff like that. Very old school hunting, uh, killing uh, mechanisms. So he gets the gyro captain, and they go to a spot up on some hill where they can kind of overlook where this big camp is, and they see the attacks done by the marauders, but the marauders can't break through. Like, it's constantly back and forth. and But at the same time, the camp is trying to get people out to go find uh, a vehicle to hook up to the tanker so they can get out and go move, I forget which direction, but it was like 2,000 miles away. They thought there was paradise. <laughs> they think somehow in this dire world that they're still going to find, like, a great place to just chill and grow old. Um... I think that's one reason why Max is so hesitant to even, like, help them initially. He's like, you guys are just nuts. There's nothing out there, <laughs> you know? Well, uh, I mean, you, he hasn't been everywhere. Right. But, uh, so Max, at this point up there, she's kind of observing what's going on and who's involved. He sees Wes, who's the right-hand man of the humongous, and they're talking and chatting, and they're trying to get in there. So there's these constant, like, attacks on this camp, but they just keep getting turned away. Uh, but as I said, the camp is trying to find uh, a rig that will pull the tanker. So they send out like search parties and little vehicles in different directions. But unfortunately, the marauders catch them every time. They kill them or rape them if they're female or whatever. And don't leave many people left. They come back with the people on the front of their cars, either dead or dying. And basically trophies to show off to the encampment people. Like, look, you better quit trying to come out and do this and just walk away and let us have the fucking camp. Mm -hmm. But they don't want to do it because that's part of their rebuilding of their lives even though some of the people in the camp uh, would rather just leave it behind and stay alive. So it's like there's some division going on in there about whether or not how, many, how long they're going to survive even if they get rid of the tanker or not. Uh, so Max witnesses one of these uh, scouting parties that the camp sends out and he goes and saves one guy with the, the deal that he'll get as much fuel as he can for his own car because he really has no interest in anything beyond that but just to get more fuel and be on his way <laughs> he wants no really no business with anybody uh so really max is kind of like the anti-hero he's not necessarily a guy that's seeking to be a hero but he does the right thing most of the time so he brings the guy back um tries to convince the leader of the camp that the deal made between the dying guy and him was that he'd get fuel and go on. Uh, however, the guy dies and he wasn't able to tell him anything, so they're basically saying, you're shit out of luck, dude. And they're planning on keeping his car and then they kind of like handcuff him, but then at that point, Humongous and the group comes back outside the, the, the border walls and they're talking shit about like, you know, I don't want it to kill you, but you know, it's getting ridiculous. Uh, there is a short scene where uh, a character named the Feral Kid, Emil Minty, that's the actor, young boy who has like a boomerang that's a blade. Like it's pretty sweet looking. So actually. the funniest part was when he like. <laughs> yeah. So he throws the boomerang at Wes, uh, hoping to come because Wes is like the most angry of everybody there. <laughs> uh, but Mrs. Um, Misses, or I should say, yeah, misses uh, Wes, but hits his boyfriend, and now Wes is pissed. 
So, uh, it, you know, not many people thought about it at the time, but, you know, a gay couple or whatever, or at least that's, I guess, maybe because there, there was some women there, but I guess uh, Wes was just more into men, so or boys, whatever. Uh, so he takes it pretty hard. He's pissed off, and he throws the boomerang back at the kid, but it misses. And as it's coming back, there's this guy, I can't remember who he really is. Uh, in terms of characters, but he's sort of like the mouthpiece for the humongous outside of whatever the humongous says, but he's sort of like the the brashy, he's got the like fur hat on. He's trying to catch the boomerang because he doesn't realize it's a fucking blade like an idiot. Mm -hmm. And it chops his fingers off and everyone in the group laughs at him, basically. <laughs> so he's like the, the, the group clown, I guess you'd call it. Um... So that's just a side note there because, you know, Wes is now like, fuck everything, let's just kill them all and take it by force and yada, yada, yada. Um, so at some point, they end up letting, uh, or what it was is, uh, there's the end fighting I'm talking about the camp and they're like, you know, we gotta just... Because Hermione's like, look, you just walk away, I'll let you live, I'm gonna take this shit. Just walk away. Right. Yeah. The horror will stop. But, you know, the leader of the camp, and he's like, look, there's no guarantee he's gonna let us live. Like, even if we walk away, he might just come back and kill us anyway. Uh, but that's when uh, Max says, look, I saw a tanker a few days ago, a truck that will carry this thing. Give me much fuel as I can carry. I'll bring it back, and then you're gonna give me fuel and as much as I can carry, and get in my car, and I'm gonna leave. Uh, so he does that. He goes, sneaks out there by foot, eventually catches up to uh, the gyro captain who's been chained to a piece of log. They've been trying to walk away from the hill that they were initially on. Uh, catches up with them, and they get into the gyro copter, copter, I guess you would call it, and they get to the the truck. So on their way back, uh, of course, the gyro captain's following Max with the tractor trailer, or the tractor, not the trailer part of it, but just the tractor because that's what they need. And as he's trying to get back to his campment, of course, the, the marauders are, like, trying to, like, stop him, like, doing whatever they can, shooting at him, shooting tires. Even Humongous has, like, this gun. He's probably one few that has a gun with bullets and he shoots out the radiator but Max is able to make it into the encampment with a little bit of fighting with a couple of stragglers that get in um, but at that point you know they're kind of like well yeah you got this back here now you can be the guy that drives the tanker out of here for us and um, Max is like ah, I don't think so Like, I, I think we had a deal I'm good to go just give me my shit <laughs> And I'll be on my way. Of course, they're kind of pissed off. And they're like, you know, look, you're only thinking about yourself. And they give him like a rash shit, even though Max is kind of right in this circumstance. I mean, they wanted a new deal, but Max didn't want any part of it. So Max, they do they do the right thing. They say Max is stand-up. He did what he was supposed to do. They give him the, sh the, the fuel and everything, and they let him go. Uh, but on his way out, Max thinks he's going to outrun everybody and eventually doesn't. And Wes catches up to him with Humongous's little big tanker it's not even a tanker it's like a i don't know what you want to fucking call it, but it's a big vehicle that has nitrous in it that catches up with just about anything it's that fast i don't know how you keep control of it but he gets up to him smashes out the window max crashes and wes sends down a couple guys to get the fuel and one to 
uh, see if uh, Max is alive, because if he's alive, he wants him to bring him up to West so he can do whatever he wants to him, or uh, just being a pain in his ass, basically. Um, we have a sad scene with the dog, and then uh, the guy that's getting the gas from Max's car doesn't understand there's a bomb there, so not to the last second does he understand what's happening. It blows up and blows up the guy that's getting ready to kill Max. Wes thinks everyone's dead, leaves, and but the gyro captain uh, shows up to pick up Max and bring him back to the encampment so he can heal, which isn't very long because the next day the leader of the camp's like, we got to get out of here, we've got the truck ready to go. The scene that you heard at the beginning of this segment was the mechanic who said how much work's going to go into fixing the tractor that they just brought back, uh, which is a funny moment, but... Anyway, Max realizes, well, he just got no car, he's got no dog, and basically nothing. So he's, and he's pissed off, you know, he's pissed off at these guys that have been fucking with him outside the gates the entire time he's been there. He's like, look, I'll drive your tractor, no deals, I'll just do it. And he knows, because he's the best one that can do it. Like, Max is just that much of a badass. So, what's, what are you looking at me like that for? Oh, okay. So he drives the tanker out, and while that's happening, the rest of the civilians inside the camera are going in opposite direction in their own vehicles, like they're escaping the other direction. Uh, but, of course, the tanker is drawing all the attention from Humongous and the rest of the hand, uh, marauders, aside from two or three that are running into the encampment after it's cleared. Uh, but it's been boogie-trapped to blow up, and which it does. Uh, everyone who's there which isn't a lot at that point. It's just a couple of the bad dudes that are in there thinking they, they're all high-fiving and like, we got it! And then they're dead. You know, so that's it. Uh, but now we have this big-ass road chase. This is what sort of made uh, Mad Max more famous than the original film because you just have this uh, massive like truck being pursued by all these vehicles, bikes, cars, whatever. And uh, it's just crazy how the death scenes and whatnot. This is something we saw uh, in Fury Road years later, back in 2015, uh, with a similar vibe of what that movie was. Uh, and so a lot of back and forth goes on. You know, people are dying here and there. Max is still driving and tearing up the roads. And eventually, uh, Wes gets himself onto the truck and he's actually on the front of the truck so like max is trying to get the feral kid who's been who actually jumped in with him without him knowing uh to hang with him on the truck trying to get him to get these shotgun shells that fell on top of the roof while they're driving <laughs> so he's down to get look go grab those i need those uh as the kid tries to grab them wes pops up over the hood and he starts screaming because he's kind of bloody and whatnot uh so at this point, and this is all spoiler stuff, but this movie's been out for so long, if you haven't seen it by now, it's your own damn fault. At some point, Max had turned the truck around to go the opposite direction. And so the person that's trailing them is humongous in his little vehicle, which is, you know, like I said, that little, like, it's not like a tank, but it's big enough, like, truck that and he's hauling ass, like, he's full of nitro, he's trying to catch up with everybody. <laughs> Max, with the truck, is coming up over the hill where, of course, Humongous is coming, and they're just heading right for each other. 
And of course, there's that last second moment where Wes turns around, he sees his boss, and boom, they collide. The truck just destroys Humongous and the, the vehicle, and of course, the truck topples over sideways. And anyway, Max still banged up. He gets out. Most of the other Marauders that were chasing him kind of figure, well, boss is dead. Let's just go. We've got nothing to, nothing to do now. We've no one to lead us, so we're just kind of like dissipating and leave. Uh, Max gets out and he realizes that the tanker is actually full of sand. There was no fuel in it. And so he's looking at the gyro captain who's kind of smiling at him because he was flying around dropping snakes and bombs on people during this whole thing. So he smiles at him, and apparently what they did was they put all the fuel in tanks, or these. Uh, barrels and stuck them in the buses that were leaving the encampment. So the truck itself was just a total distraction from everything else they were doing. Hook, line, and sinker. And so basically it just ends with the feral kid kind of doing a narration of how he soon became the leader of the, the people and uh, as he got older and then how do you like remembered the road war through memories and never saw him again after that that was kind of like the cool thing about this movie uh neko wasn't quite as interested in this as i thought she might be but uh, i don't i don't like any of them i don't like mad max i don't like this one i don't like the new one i yeah she has a weird taste it just you know sometimes she just doesn't like things <laughs> I, I tried but it was just as boring as the first time i watched it and, and you were like what you've never seen it and i'm like yeah i've probably seen it but i've probably ignored it just like i'm doing right now because it was almost unwatchable to me the oh, only so guy good. i liked was the humonger or whatever that's the only interesting part about this entire movie they don't talk then they talk and then they don't talk and then it's very unorganized and there's mm. no like direct story like I don't want to say explanation but there's no clear story like arc shit just happens and um well that's because it's like a direct sequel to Mad Max so but you still if you're having a sequel to something the Wrath of Khan is a sequel to the original Star Trek, but there's a fucking story well, arc. Well, yes and no. Um, now, in Mad Max, uh, now at the beginning of Road Warrior, they showed, they explained to us what was going on. In yeah, the that was really interesting. And then the movie got bad. But if you remember Wrath of Khan, like, it came off of Star Trek The Motion Picture, which... It, it was did, really bad, too. Right, but I'm just saying that there's no connection there other than the fact that it was the second movie. Now, there's connection between Rathacon and the TV series episode. Mm -hmm. But most people wouldn't have even known that. In fact, I wouldn't even know that because I didn't know anything about Khan prior to Star Trek Two. Well, I didn't. Yeah, well. But here's the thing. If you're doing a direct um, sequel, you still have to create a movie. And it wasn't. It was, well, it was it, gibberish. It was... Well, the thing about... It, that time was like for um miller was that he probably didn't have a big budget for either one of those films well, like, you can do a good movie without a budget it was a good movie it's highly rated good <laughs> fine highly rated fine it was boring <laughs> i mean fucking roger ever gave three three and a half stars out of five i mean come on if he can see some, like, good stuff in it, so can you. I couldn't pay attention to it. That's how bad it was. Yeah, I saw that. You were on your phone the entire time. 
Well, that'll tell you something about a movie. I watched Valley Girl more, you know, alertly than I did the the. Road. That's because that was sort of comical because of Nicolas Cage. Yeah, but, but it also had like a point. This movie had no point. It had no point. Yeah, you know the point. I'm coming into this not caring about it, not knowing anything about it, and I couldn't see a point. So she didn't like it. So there you go. We don't always agree on the movies that we choose. There you go. Sorry. I mean, I try to find some redeeming qualities out of some of the crap she put a little bit. But the, it's, it's not... I, I told you, like, the things that I like. I know, I know. I'm fucking with you. But the problem with the movie is it's so ADD, you cannot follow it unless you're really invested into this because you watched the first movie. Well, you know, but no, I think I saw this before I saw Mad Max. Okay. But I think Let's my point... Let's flip it on the side. You can watch Maverick without watching Top Gun. You can, sure. Yeah. It does give you a little bit of backstory. Now, Max, or Road Warrior, doesn't specifically... Well, they did show clips of the first film. So, yeah, they did. So, it's kind of like Maverick. They did do that. But, uh... Then it fell off a cliff. No, nah, it just continued on, like... But it's more of a... It's a really dystopian movie... And uh, it just shows Max's character along. Like, Mad Max 1 dealt with more because it was Max's family involved. And Maybe I just don't like dystopian movies. Maybe. And that's possible. Like, I don't know. But it's funny because you, you would like, like, you like Commando, but... Which one's Commando? Arnold Schwarzenegger, Brandon Wells, when he saves Stop his daughter. Stop naming people. Melissa Milano, the daughter. In the, in the, in yeah, the that's mountains. not a dystopian movie, though. No, no, well, but I'm just saying, it, it's got the same kind of feel. No, it doesn't. It does not. It, that is a bad comparison. It does not have the same feel at all. It's both cheesy movies. It does not have the same feel. Commando's I'm way just saying, better. I'm just saying they're both B-rated movies. Like, they're both the same type of action. Like, it's it, it's not... Like, I mean, granted, Commando has more one-liners, but... I'm just saying that they're both action films. I don't even know what to call Mad Max. Like, or whatever the fuck this is, Road Warrior. Like, I watch it and I go like this. It's not interesting at all. I, it's easy to get distracted. Not for me. Okay, well, good. I'm glad you like it. I don't. <laughs> Sorry. What this means is I'm in for trouble next week. No, I already doesn't. told you what we're doing next week. So I'm in trouble. No. Because if I come out of that hating that movie, she's going to be mad. I don't care. What do I care? It's a fucking movie. I didn't say you had to care. Why are you I, so well, defensive? What I, what I really... The, the reason I... Well, the reason I wanted to do that one is because of the movie that you watched last night that you hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. And I wanted you to, like... Because they're both... Uh, the same type of movie I wanted you to look at both of them and decide which one you like better uh-huh. kind of that's that's the whole purpose of that one is because they're similar because the same thing happens in the movie but one is very different than the other if you, if you know what I mean yeah. like it's just like one is and they're both like you know like highly acclaimed and hot big shot actors but similar things happen in them and they're different enough that 
uh, that was why I wanted to do that. So you can be like, well, I watched this and I was very interested. And then I watched the other one and I was like, oh, I like this part, but this part, that, that was the whole idea with that. Even though I like them both. It'll be two movies that you yeah, have. Yeah, so you just didn't like Road Warrior. That's just that, yeah, that's really that's all fine. it is, is. I just, I couldn't, I could not pay attention. It couldn't keep you engaged. Yeah, that's, that's, that. And, that, and when a movie can't keep me, because I started liking it. Remember, I was watching the beginning and I was like, this is really interesting. And then like the acting started and I couldn't. Like that was the problem. I liked the premise of it. And I bet you if there's a book about it, I would read the book and like the book, but the movie did not. I don't not... know if there's a, there might be a There movie. might be, but. And I don't know how detailed it would be. Like, I don't know if sometimes books are written after a movie comes out and sometimes before. So it just depends. Well, that's, that's what I mean. Like, I was, I was just thinking to myself, like, I can't connect with anything. I don't know what's happening because they're like just going here and there. And I don't know who this guy is. Like you were saying, they don't give anybody names. They don't address people you have to figure it out so me being a person who's really watching it for the first time i'm like mm, this is stupid <laughs> sorry well, did you ever see fury road because miller actually gets a little more better with the character yes i did and i thought it was just as bad like okay, just... it was i had zero interest in it okay. sorry all right well coming up <laughs> brand new stuff from conan uh, stuff from the Metalist PR as well as Metal Message kicking it off with Imperial Age, Legend of the Free.
Elbowsers. No, no more else will hear the thousand of black metal. Well, the wannabe black metal death thousand. An interpreter of the comments from Salkin. You are in the company of DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Power Radio. The best place to be. Stay tuned with these legends.
whale with elephant walk. Guys sent me that. Pretty cool stuff. Got a little bit of uh, sludginess in there. Go along with that Conan. Brand new stuff for them. Levitation hoax. Want to thank you all for tuning in. Neko went to go get dinner because it's that time for us here when we're recording. Want to thank you all for tuning in, supporting this website and this podcast as much as you do. It means a lot to us. And I uh, hope you're enjoying the music and the topics and the discussions, uh, no matter if we agree or disagree, whether it's between Neko and I or you and I out there in the, the fanverse. Uh, that's all about what discussions are for, and we're not always going to agree on everything, but uh, if we can find a way to communicate and be civil, we're all good, right? Got one last track for you today, provided by Against PR, a uh, band called Wizzo, and it's kind of like psychedelic stoner doom, and this is called Hollow Earth, and I'm really excited to check out the rest of this record, so I, I think you guys will enjoy this, so here we go. Take care of yourselves. Be safe. Cheers. <laughs>